0: the The first thing that struck me about this was I was like, Oh, hell, yes, we're in like wonderful, old, actual magnetic, mm. you know, real films yeah, like, yes, there is a slight graininess to everything that happened before digital but there is just like i mean you know like i sound like a hipster but whatever
1: Um, you know it looks better it looks better i mean uh, there's certain effects you can do with digital film in terms of exposure and stuff that you can't do with grainy film but um i don't know i had an ex-girlfriend who said it really well which is film looks like it's the look of memory here and I have a quick announcement for you. We have a date for the semi-live screening semi-screening of Sideways, the culminating event of this Foodie Films series on Thursday January 11th at 4pm Pacific Time, 7pm Eastern Time. We are going to encourage everybody to watch Sideways on their own somewhere at the exact same time and then we will convene a live episode where Chris and I discuss it with some kind of listener participation. I'm not sure exactly what, but maybe you can chat questions at us. Maybe there will even be some kind of tipping setup where you can make us do humiliating things like sing songs. Um, It's probably going to be about three hours in total. It's a big honking event. Um, And if you miss it, uh, all is not lost. We'll put it in the podcast. But if you want... To uh, check that out, stay attuned to our website or social media for details, uppermiddlebrow.com. Again, it's Thursday, January 11th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, a live episode about Sideways. That's coming up. Really excited about that. I am um, coming to you from the cozy confines of the Upper Middlebrow Mobile Bureau aka my camper uh i am actually in the uh street in front of my friend dennis's house in kansas city uh and i left chicago i left my lovely apartment in chicago i will be renting that out and doing a sojourn in the desert southwest particularly southern california around Joshua tree la san diego uh so if you're in that area uh keep me in mind for your you know literary salons or other soirees or surfing kayaking adventures maybe i'll see you out there um and we'll we'll share some updates on the show by the time you hear this it will be the winter solstice which means the worst is over the days will be getting longer so thank goodness for that those short days are really rough for me I don't know about you um yeah there'll probably be some cold weather and snow coming your way depending on where you live but the days will be getting longer you made it and who knows we might even see spring and summer again uh finally just a reminder to check out the upper middle brow website and fill out our listener survey we are going to keep nagging you about this until we get enough uh survey results We've had a few, uh, so thank you for those people, but it takes you about two minutes and this is your chance to help us shape the show and tell us, you know what, it's too long, you guys ramble too much, or uh, I want you to do more of this. Help us make the show better. Go to uppermiddlebrow.com and look for the link to the survey. And now on to our episode about Ong Lee's brilliant film, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman.
0: Boy, what a what a! I, I'd never seen this before. Me neither. Um, oh, really? Okay. God, this is. Uh, I had I had thought that you had seen this before, which is great because one of my questions hinges on that uh, hinges on that moment. But um, no, this this is God, God, one a, that I found a movie.
1: in a lot of lists and. Um, and it was one, you know, how Monica talked to us about wanting to see the fish going into the fryer and all of that. It was one that I sensed would be sort of like that. And, and sure enough, you know, um, it, it, it certainly is. But, um, yeah, uh, we start, in fact, um, with uh, Chu, the old man, one of our protagonists. In fact... Grabbing some mudfish and thro- and scoring them with a blade and throwing them into a fire. Uh, here's an old man. He's probably about sixty, I would say. He's not that old, but he's he's pa- yeah. he's past young, that's for sure.
0: He's approaching retirement age.
1: Right, right. We get this into maybe early sixties, maybe mid sixties, um, and he's cooking and he's cooking magnificently and expertly. And we figure out that it's his house, which is a really interesting combination of Eastern and Western uh, influences, I think. Uh, we see some interesting intercuts with Taipei traffic. His house is very peaceful um, by uh, comparison. And then what he's cooking, we figure out, well, he has a conversation with one of his daughters, probably who's also cooking. And then very quickly we get into a conver- uh, uh, a meal. Uh, and we see the meal he's preparing, which is this amazing Taiwanese hot pot um, and other courses and dumplings. Um, and they're sitting in this kind of like Victorian round dining nook that they revisit many times and we get to know the three daughters who, whose story we're going to follow along with him, with Chu uh, for the rest of the movie
0: uh, We've got uh, Jia Jian, uh, the eldest uh, a school teacher um, who has definitely kind of she's really portrayed as like a, like a sort of young spinster mm-hmm. Um, she's probably in her thirties, yeah. um, and uh, um, but they the the filmmakers have this is Angley, but the filmmakers and the design team has really gone out of their way to make her like very plain. She
1: wears kind of like Victorian collared shirts, buttoned all the way to yeah. the top, in a uh, kind of plain. Yeah, and she she is pretty. Um, but you also get, you do sense a little bit of aging, you know, that she's not quite in the full flush of youth, although still young. Yeah, probably mid-30s, yeah. something like that. Um, she's a school teacher. We see her teaching a little bit. Uh, she's strict. Her students don't really respect her. Um, uh, I mean, it's interesting because I don't know that we can do the whole plot, so my inclination is that we just sort of do the arcs and not try to keep yeah. track exactly.
0: I think that's a great idea. Um, yeah. Her her arc is essentially one of um, like we, like she, she, she had had her heart broken um, when she was in university. Um, and, and very interestingly, we kind of discover that her version of events is actually not right. correct. We, we, we learn, we meet the the guy that supposedly broke her heart and he doesn't even remember her because it, and not because they actually had any kind of romance um she kind of imagined yeah it. and um and her arc is sort of discovering the fullness of herself uh there is a volleyball coach who kind of begins to sort of court her from afar which is overlaid with the fact that her students are playing a really mean joke on her where they leave love letters at her desk. She thinks it's coming from the volleyball coach um, and it's not. And um, it's it's one of the saddest moments of the movie. Oh my God. When she discovers that actually that hasn't been coming from him. um, And uh, she is that she's gotten dressed up. For this day, uh, where she like kind of you kind of imagine that she's going to like talk to him about the letters and kind of confess to him. There's no letter waiting for her, and she discovers that her students have been playing a trick on her. It's very sad. And you're like, oh no, no, I don't want to see the film go in this direction. This poor spinster, hearted school teacher is going to continue in this direction. But, but no. then yes the volleyball coach comes through and like talks to the students and is like guys that sucked don't do that ever again and they end up getting married Um, and he converts to Christianity which is a little bit of an odd moment Um, (laughs) Um, you know it's actually unclear to me
1: whether he was ever really he was clearly being a little bit flirty but it's unclear to me whether he was actually flirting with her or just being gregarious and Uh friendly and whether it's that moment of seeing her so upset and vulnerable and he goes and comforts her and sort of gives her a hug and that's when she melts and sort of the entire film up to this point she has been denying that she's lonely and in that moment she stops denying it and it's it's sort of that's when they kiss for the first time and it was unclear to me and you know maybe it's just because of the lost in translation whether he had actually been flirting or whether that's the moment he really mm. becomes interested but yes that is that is her arc uh yeah. we have uh Shen. um interesting taiwanese mandarin is a very interesting sound the ends sound like french ends you know they're sort of swallowed like a like a as opposed to shen um she's the middle daughter She is a very successful executive at an airline. She's portrayed as a knockout and is, I think, uh, um, a knockout, (laughs) knockout, but also is dressed and made up in such a way to emphasize that. Um, And her arc is that she's doing very well at the company and she's in line for a major promotion. Uh, She's going to be a VP at Amsterdam, and she's pretty excited about that. But we also... She has a couple different things going on. And one is is that she loves to cook. Um, she grew up in her kitchen. Chu, we sort of learn over time, her father is a master chef. Um, and she used to follow her dad and her kind of honorary uncle, uh, old Wen, around the kitchen and learn to cook. And she loved it. But then Chu basically shooed her out of the kitchen and said, you need to do something serious with your, your life because he sensed her talent and potential. Um, but she's never really forgiven him for that. Um, and there's a scene where she's got a kind of off again, on again boyfriend, and she goes over to um, his house, and she just wants to cook. And she has a giant two bags of groceries, and spends like three hours cooking him the most amazing meal, for which he is only slightly appreciative. Um, yeah. And
0: yeah, she's she her her plight, like her like narr- her character plight. Is that like the things that are important to her have been taken from her. Right. And so she has taken on the stuff that she thinks society wants her to do. And and she's good at it. And she's good at it. Yeah. She's facile. Like she's good at this stuff. She can kind of, she's talented. She could probably do anything she wants. Um, But she's harboring some resentment about not being able to follow a life of cooking. Um, the on again off again boyfriend is a real feature of like her sort of stunted emotional uh, growth um, that is resolved in kind of a one of my like favorite and and more surprising moments um she she ends up be almost beginning a romance. She's with get, yeah, well, go ahead the with the character that the eldest daughter. Thinks broke her heart. Another university. airline
1: executive, a handsome young airline executive, yeah. who is visiting,
0: you know, to work on a project with her, and um, they almost fall into a romance. They don't because the middle daughter um, sort of confronts him about it, and then in you get the sense that she needs some kind of companionship, and she goes to her on again, off again boyfriend who is sort of like uh, I've got somebody else can we talk tomorrow yeah <laughs> um,
1: and he's not and being that's within their agreement they're yep, they're totally seeing within other people agreement. but it hurts her it stings her it
0: does yeah and it hurts her even more when she does have that lunch date with him he tells her that he is getting married to that particular woman and then makes a pass yeah. at her in this like incredibly gross, yeah. like very like oh my god, this is this is ugly um, kind of manner. And and that's that's this character's plight. Like she has uh, she's trying to kind of grow up. She buys an apartment that uses all of her savings to buy an apartment. Uh, it turns out that's a fraud and a scam, and she loses her savings. And um, she's really adrift without any of the like financial implications of being adrift
1: (laughs) and probably one of the things we should mention is that at the beginning of the film she and Chu, her dad are feuding a lot Mm -hmm. they are at each other's throats and we have the sense that they care about each other deeply but they also just can't get along and they're always finding fault one of the subplots is that Chu has lost his sense of taste and uh, uh, Zha Shen is very quick to point out whenever something is off with his cooking, which he denies. But then when he's at his restaurant, he's always getting old Wen to taste stuff for him because he knows he's losing his sense of taste too. So he's kind of mm-hmm. cooking by memory um, as opposed to uh, tasting throughout. And another subplot is that uh, Zha Shen becomes concerned about her father's health. So even though she's mm-hmm. been offered this exciting promotion, in amsterdam she accidentally sees her father at the cardiology department at the hospital and that sets up the expectation that he's perhaps headed for a heart attack and for the rest of the film and into the very final almost the the penultimate scene she is concerned about that but maybe we should go to Zhang yang and then we can talk about the denouement because all of everything sort
0: of everything kind of wraps up very quickly it does. It does, and and, and very well. Yeah, uh, I gotta say, like the uh, this as a as a piece of well made drama, this is really good. Like like the technical the technical aspects of the script are, right, basically perfect. Yeah,
1: the, the narrative control <laughs> of the way the three, four or five storylines intersect with one another, inform one another but do not get ahead of one another is really mm-hmm. uh, fabulous. Splendid. Totally
0: impressive. Yeah. Um, uh, John Ying, um, a college student who works at Wendy's. This is sort of the throwaway yeah. uh, subplot. It's like soup you, you get thickener. The, yeah. Like, like you get the sense that Ang Lee is like, well, if things happen in twos, it's a mistake. But if it's three, it's a pattern. I need a third. Um, and kind of throws in this third sister. Um, and, and also like the the, echo, the echoes of Chekhov are just everywhere. Mm. And so you kind of get the sense that there's a little three sisters nod happening here. Um, it's this, this subplot is very light, and maybe that's the important part. It's kind of frivolous. Um, uh, she's a college student. Her, one of her friends has a boyfriend. Um, her friend mistreats the boyfriend, um, plays a lot of hard-to-get, says that he she actually loves him, but we never really know if she actually did. Um, and Ning, meets she wants, the boyfriend. She only
1: wants him when she can't have him, it seems like. Exactly,
0: yeah. Um, meets the boyfriend, and they... It's hard to say that they fall in love, but there is certainly an affection that grows between them. Maybe because of the boyfriend's sort of... Uh, he, he does have some real, like, Soft spots about who he is and about what he feels for his family, and you get the sense that maybe she is attracted to that, Um, and they get pregnant. (laughs) And um, the the Sunday dinner by the end,
1: it's clear that they have fallen in love. I think there's they have a real tenderness for each other that is on display in the the last moments of the film.
0: And we learn that at the, the it's the first big announcement, uh, the first like real big announcement. <laughs> There's many big announcements, and they all happen at the Sunday dinners. Yeah, um, the Sunday dinners are the intermissions of this. Like, if you think about this as like a classical five act play or four act play or whatnot, um, the dinners are sort of either the culmination of each act or the way that each act kicks sure, off, sure. and and she announces that she is pregnant at one of them. Um, and she's sort of like like summer like there's this great like progression of the daughters kind of like like shacking up with people and then like leaving on like a motorcycle or in a taxi or you know it's, it's things kind like of a that.
1: fiddler on the pagoda.
0: <laughs> there's the title. There's the title that could be it. Uh, we'll have so to run that past a sensitivity reader. Right. But <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a very possible one. Anything else about Jian Ying?
1: No, I think you got it. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, we have some other minor characters who are important, but they're, they're, their arcs are not as great. I mean, there's Old Wen, who is an avuncular figure, especially to Zhe Shen, just a buddy to Chu. Um, sadly, about two-thirds of the way through the film, he dies. Um, and he also has a scare I think his death is important because it's what starts bringing uh, Zhixian and um, Mm -hmm. Chu kind of back together. Um, Because no matter how much they feud and fight, it's clear that they both love Old Wen and that he's kind of equally fond of both of them. And when he is gone, it's sort of, I think that mourning together is something that they share in common. And I think that's very nice. Uh, We have uh, Jean Rong and her daughter, Jinrong, and her daughter, Shen Shen, who's a housekeeper. Um, another funny little subplot where Chu starts cooking for the daughter, and then sort of like Three's Company like subplot where he then starts giving her a lunch but then eating her terrible lunches that Jinrong cooks because he doesn't want to <laughs> offend her. Um, and then we have uh, Mrs. Lang, who is Jinrong's mother, who is pretty bad. Although I have to say, having just rewatched the scene where she gets very upset. I felt really sad for her in that moment. Oh, yeah. Um, My God. She thinks that she is paying court to Chu. Um, and she's not She's not a good listener. She's always smoking in the house, even though he's blowing coughing. Blowing it in his face. And blowing it in his face. So she's not great. But what she doesn't realize and what we learn towards the end is in fact Chu has a secret romance with her daughter, Jin Rong, who's probably also in her 30s. You know, maybe 40, but I think like somewhere in the 35. So it's it's very much a May-December romance. And it turns out the reason Jashen saw Chu in the hospital is he was getting his heart checked out to make sure that his health was good. So that, you know, the mother wouldn't worry that he would uh, die young uh, if he marries uh, the daughter. Mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of wedding banquet um, for the two couples. He gets up, makes this kind of long, rambling announcement, there's probably the most um, self-conscious sort of tracking shot. Um, Normally the camera work is very subtle, um, but this is a moment where it's being very uh, self-conscious. It it encircles them, um, kind of looking in on them through the various windows. And finally, at the end of the announcement, he announces that he and Jinrong, the young housekeeper, love each other and are going to buy a new house and essentially get married. Uh, the mother, Missus Lang, is feels terrible about this. She kind of passes out. She starts cursing them out. Um, so big day, new mall. Um, everyone's sort of shocked, and then we have Ooh, a kind yeah. of moment where. It's it's like it's like it's all on the table. It's like a lot, especially Chu, literally on the table. A lot of the emotions have been bottled up in this film. Many, many, and this is a moment where it's all out there, which is ugly and it's difficult. But that kind of allows everybody to move forward. And then we get this kind of epilogue type scene where, okay, in fact, uh, Jinrong and Chu do move in together. Um, Mrs. Lang is apparently upset about it, but tolerant, has learned to live with it. Um, Zhezhen is married to her husband. I can't remember the name of the volleyball coach. They seem to be doing well. Ning has a baby. They seem to be doing pretty well, and I'll I'll let
0: you describe the very last thing that we see, which is um, yeah, uh, yeah uh, Jiaxian ja uh, has taken the job in Amsterdam. Um, we we learned that she does in fact take that promotion after first saying no, but we we learn in this epilogue that she has taken that, um, and she is cooking the final Sunday dinner, and the how the family house is sold boxes and everywhere, kind of co- half empty. Locks yeah, have he been He comes changed. back to his own house. Right, the locks have been changed, um, and everybody has canceled except for uh, for Shu and Jiaxian has is doing all the cooking, and um, they have a meal together. And um, at first, he thinks that she has put too much ginger in mm-hmm. the in the soup, and she corrects him. She tastes it and she says, "I think you're wrong." I think you never liked mother's recipe. Yep. And, and you, you were always too, uh, you're always too easy with the ginger and, uh, and he tastes again and his taste comes back and, uh, and he asks for more. And there's this one very similar to the Tampopo scene when they eat the, the the good ramen. And you can see how much like relish he is like experiencing with being able to taste again. And the movie ends with the two of them looking at each other, and um, I can't remember if he says daughter first or she says father first, but there's an exchange where she says father and he says daughter, and it's done. Um, And the, the family unit has been repaired through wild you know wild like destruction and opening up and transformed I mean, and repaired yeah. you know
1: it's not exactly. the same as it was before it's something new but
0: it is also there's hope uh and yeah. there's joy if you were going to teach if you were going to teach like how to write a well-made play this is the syllabus oh, wow. like this is the curriculum like because it's so it so perfectly hits like all of those things like just what you described. the family is t- transformed but repaired it's not the same but it is better than it's been. Um, like it's really it's really remarkable. Um, I, I'm really I'm, I' the, the more I think about this movie the more I think that like this is this is really 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 good
1: I would not teach it in a screenwriting 101 class because no no is, no this is a it 401. Is, <laughs> it is a 401. It, yeah. it is, and it's a masterful screenplay and Ong Lee didn't write the screenplay, but it is also, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question about this later, but I'll just say like Ong Lee's, you know, the filmmaking I would say is something like perfect, but yeah. almost never reveals itself. You know, that, that you always just sort of feel like you're in the story. The, the
0: first thing that struck me about this was I was like, Oh, hell yes, we're in like wonderful old actual magnetic, you know, mm. real film. Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, because like, and then that, like, yes, there is a slight graininess to everything that happened before digital, but there is just like, I mean, you know, like I sound like a hipster, but whatever. Um, like, it, there it, is something. It looks something
1: better. It about, better. I mean, uh, there's yeah. certain effects you can do with digital film in terms of exposure and stuff that you can't do with grainy film. But um, I don't know. I had an ex-girlfriend who said it really well, which is film looks like it's the look of memory.
0: Oh, that's great. Wow, and that is I, that is a really, really good. Uh, so my, that's a really, really good way to put it. <laughs> I, and, uh, yeah,
1: I think it's absolutely right. Or it was something or yeah. it was like film looks like the way – We see ourselves when we remember ourselves, or something like that. Oh, that's
0: a beautiful wow! So that's kind of that's kind of my question. I've got a quote here. Um, I mean, because the the initial shot of the traffic, and there are recurring images of traffic in uh, in Taipei um, that I I think are important. I mean, it's not just B roll; it's not just like scene setting. Like everything in this movie is intended to be there, Um, and like movement and progress and all that stuff is really important and um we mostly see the traffic beginning to move from a stop right like that's generally what he is setting up um but so he said about more recent efforts like life of pi or billy lynn's halftime walk which i had never heard of and then i just watched the trailer today and hmm. I, I really want to see i haven't heard of it either. um so quote I thought, And so what, what he's talking about here is the, the interviewer is asking him about creating films in 3D mm. and having that third dimension very palpably accessible to you. Um, so I thought it was with a different dimension, with a Z-axis. Uh, with a Z-axis. If I can place the audience differently, maybe I could get away with it. So that's how I began. I had never done anything like that. But I quickly realized that's what digital cinema should be doing. It should have dimension. It shouldn't be doing what film is doing. It should have its own thing. I don't have a lot of curiosity to do 2D movies anymore. I think we've known most of what we know since the 70s. Nowadays, it's simply a matter of doing that well. So my question for you, does this movie feel two-dimensional? Hmm. And I, I realize that i'm 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 playing i'm I'm possibly playing a little fast and loose here because, like I'm not talking about the sort of emotional dimensionality. I'm talking about the actual like appearance of it. Did you find it visually two-dimensional?
1: No, um because there is a lot of variety in the point of view and a lot of variety between intimate camera and establishing camera. And medium camera. Um, but to his point, they were masters of that by the 1970s. The film is a lot like watching The Godfather, um, which has a lot of like shooting and you know, killing, but is actually, a other. if you leave that aside, it's a very similar story, right? <laughs> you know?
0: Uh, um, I love it. Oh, my God. No,
1: it, it's a family drama, right? right? It's about, right. Yeah, it's a it's family a, melodrama. A, and, and I think, you know, that kind of peaked in the 1970s and sort of yeah. the naturalistic acting style. So, no, it doesn't seem two-dimensional, but I totally understand what he's saying, and I completely agree with it, which is if you're going to, if you're going to use digital technology, you should do what digital technology is good at. Digital technology is not good at that effect that my ex described. You know, that sort of, you can tell it's film and there's a realism mm-hmm. to it that's realer than real, uh, in a way. It's because it looks a little bit grainy that you know it's real, um, if, yeah. that, if that makes sense. I mean, it's like looking yeah. at my grandfather, uh, was a very good amateur photographer and shot thousands of, uh, uh photos on kodachrome slide from the 1960s, uh, 70s and 80s and it just nothing looks better than that. Nothing will ever for the kind of photography he was doing, you can never I just I just don't think you can make anything look better than that for what he was doing, which was this kind of slice of life documentary in like 1968 Paris and women wearing like beautiful wool suits like walking on to the the tram, you know? Like it's just that's that's what that should look like. And I think so I I see his point, but I don't I think that he is actually locating the viewer in space and moving them around the space quite a bit. So it doesn't feel two dimensional to me visually in that sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a little it's kind of a softball question, but like I thought I mean, there's so many moments of just like absolutely amazing um, filming. Um, Yeah. When, uh, very when, subtle though. Uh, like yeah. it, it's,
1: it's, it's, oh, it's not yeah. like watching Scorsese where you're like, Oh my God, like he didn't cut the entire time they walked through the restaurant or like Tarantino or the Coen which, which
0: happens in this one. Sure. There, there, there's a tracking shot in the kitchen. Yeah, but <laughs> it's you, amazing. And I,
1: yeah, and I, I don't, I mean, I, I guess I didn't notice that because I was just too busy just drinking the set, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, um, you know i I watched it I watched it one and a half times I watched it all the way through, and then today, as we were prepping, I watched like the first half hour and the last half hour again. I would really love nice. to watch it again, so I started paying a little more attention to the camera work and it's generally not it's not doing it it's it's well done but it's rarely drawing attention to itself it's it's not flashy camera work you're not sort of like oh my god that shot was amazing like the camera tracked over the fence and then like did this and just just that moment the person you saw like the focus pulled and that person was doing the thing in deep focus oh my god they must have planned this there's nothing like that it's just good simple straightforward camera work and good editing everything done Perfectly, um, yeah. But nothing done, nothing extraordinary. There was nothing that made my eyes pop out in terms of the camera. Yeah. The,
0: the, the moment that I'm mostly thinking of is when, uh, when Jiazhen, um gets all dressed up. Yeah. Um, and she thinks she is going to, like, go talk to the volleyball coach about the letters that he's been leaving her. Yeah. Um, the, the courtyard of the school. Um, when she when she arrives that day is thronged yeah. with people yeah. doing like so much life, yeah. so much activity. And the next cut, it's maybe in the afternoon or later that day. And it very quickly goes from that scene of just like bustling life um, and it is empty. Yeah. And like you get the sense that he like put a different filter in, but not a very different filter um, because like the green has like slightly darkened and it, it looks like you're cutting from like, like a market in Calcutta to the surface of the moon. Right, right, <laughs> like, right. right. And well, and a
1: lot of it, it's he's doing a lot of montage and editing that is that's pairing unlike things. But often, what's unlike, it's often a question of busyness versus quietude. Mm-hmm. It's uh, motion versus yeah. stillness. Uh, big versus small, light versus dark. You know, it's, it's, and, and often the images themselves, no, I mean, it's a great point. And a lot of the storytelling of the school, there's sort of this, there's the space of the classroom, the space of the teacher's lounge, and the tumult. And she feels very vulnerable in that tumult. It's almost as though all those people are laughing at her, even though they're not, but you kind of have that sense. It's as though they're like a flock of crows being all like, Spencer, Spencer, lonely one. <laughs> lo- you know, like they're all tormenting her. Like yeah. uh, you know, even though that's not really what's happening, but that's how she feels. And you get it. I mean, I was thinking about this, and I was like, f- film is kind of emotionally fascist because there are a lot of dirty tricks or clean tricks that get you feeling what the character is going to feel. Like the um, the moment that she is offered the promotion, the thunder claps. And and I didn't notice it the first time. And that happens a lot. It also Mm -hmm. happens, I think, when we get the first glimmer that Shu might have heart problems, which turns out not to be true. And I realized the thunderclaps are these little pangs of anxiety uh, that... Uh, Jiaxin is feeling and y- y- you know you don't know that you notice but you notice um, and so he's giving us a lot to work with in terms of how everything feels it's sort of like what we talked about with the arrest that the landscape and the visuals yeah. are giving us the internality which character do you find most relatable?
0: Um, uh, Zha- Zha Xian, hey. the middle the the the, the middle character I, I really do I mean we we spend most of our time in and around her subjectivity Um, And I think that like a lot of these movies like that are done in this way, um, good storytellers and screenwriters and writers in general know that they have that they when you're doing something like this. If you try to locate all of your elements in a single character, it will just tear that character apart. Right. Right? Like, like James like Dean. Like it just can't. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, James Dean, the black hole of, of 1950s cinema. Um, and, uh, but. So we get these other characters that ref- that make more sense of Z- of Jiaxian's emotional arc and Shu's emotional arc, which is really, that's the crucial center of this. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of us would like to think of ourselves as of having Jiaxian's plight. Like, oh, like, you know, we're, you know, sort of talented people who are maybe doing the thing, the second best thing we could be doing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I think that is like where a lot of us kind of think of ourselves, and um, and so that's that's why she's the most relatable to me. Is it the same thing for you? Well, sort of. Um, I it's old Wen, isn't it? No, we find old Wen the most relatable. <laughs> no, but I love him. I adore <laughs> He's him. He's the best. Uh, He's yeah, wonderful. yeah, yeah. No, I actually think that it's it
1: it changes for me, and that I actually uh-huh. find Chu to be more relatable for about the first half of the film. And then about halfway through, there's some kind of X and Mm. it crosses and then it becomes Shen for me. And I think part of it is that I find Shen to be a little bit cold and I kind of don't like how she's uh, feuding with Chu. And I also find Chu is somebody who's sliding from middle age to old age uncomfortably. And I'm younger than him, but I feel like I'm sliding from youth to middle age uncomfortably, and feeling a little <laughs> bit kind of annoyed at the younger people. And but also sort of like, wait, am I just an old fool who's becoming irrelevant, or no, I still get am off relevant. my yard? Yeah. Well, there's some of that, but also kind of like, even, and also the ritual of the cooking too. And yeah. I think actually, what kind of really made me start relating to Jushin is when she takes the groceries to her um, pseudo-boyfriend's apartment and just feels the need to cook and that was something i completely relate to you know i know exactly how she feels and i know how difficult it would be for her and i also know that like i know what it's like to like want to cook at somebody's house and they're just kind of like they want something else from you like they they would rather call takeout you know in his case it's probably sex um, yeah. in but it could be anything, you know, whereas like I just want to like relax and like cook for two hours and maybe pour a glass of wine and get emotional and they're not down for it. And then I think also <laughs> her her sheer affection for old Wen at that moment, I think also and her obvious concern for her father, the more she warmed to Chu, the more that she became more relatable to me. And then Chu became kind of increasingly mysterious in a way. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure how i feel about his you know love affair um with the younger woman i think you know it it, it's i i think i mostly feel fine about it but it did i i think i she became the more relatable character for me mm-hmm. over time but there was something i found a little bit off-putting about her and maybe it's that we associate coldness with beauty sometimes and yeah. that could be part
0: of it as well, I think I think he probably intends that.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's I, not, I
0: think that's part of the sort of whether you call it a, a like a, a dirty trick or just a, a good trick or yeah. you know or whatnot. I think we are we come into the movie being like, Ooh, she's kind of a bitch. Yeah, um, and but then the the joy of the movie is discovering why she's a bitch and 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 that she's not
1: and she's not and, and then and yeah. then you know I mean. And you're right. I think the heart of their story is their relationship, you know, her yeah. and her father's relationship. All the other stories are there as kind of like the mushrooms. And if we're doing ramen, the noodles, you know, they're the chashu and the broth, you know.
0: yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> and uh, to borrow from Tampopo. Um,
0: I've got a checkoff question. Um, I've already sort of tipped my hand a little bit here. Um, you know, you and I talk about Chekhov a lot, but... Did you find this movie echo like echoing Chekhov in terms of its structure and the storytelling or is it a case that sort of Chekhov set the terms of emotional drama and now everything like this kind of owes such a debt of existence to Chekhov that we can't kind of get out from underneath the umbrella?
1: Well, I I have to say, I think you know... You're more acquainted with Chekhov's works than I am. Uh, I sort of know them vaguely, and I often sort of know them through pastiche. Like, I read... Uh Our Country Friends, Gary Steingart's novel, which I could, I know enough about Chekhov to tell that he was very clearly pastiching Chekhov. Uh-huh. You know, like the protagonist <laughs> is like so-and-so, a landowner. You know, and, and like there's a dramatist persona at the beginning. And, I, and, you know, I've read a couple Chekhov short stories. I've never read a novel, and I've never read or gone to one of his plays. So I don't know the mm. material as well as you do. And, uh, you know, I feel like that's one of my deficiencies it definitely felt narratively familiar to me. Yeah. It definitely felt like we were tapping into an old structure. And like it would not have surprised me to have read, "Oh, this was based on Sense and Sensibility" or like which he actually made a film about, or this was based on, you know, All's well that ends well or Much ado about nothing. Like it mm. it had like a man, three daughters, three suitors. Uh, the man has a suitor. Like it had this structure Uh, And, of course, Shakespeare and Chekhov are not very similar and are from completely different eras. I mean, Chekhov's sort of the inventor of the modern storytelling era in a way, you know, along with maybe, you know, Mark Twain and Charles Dickens and some others. Um, Chekhov's much older, but I, I I did feel like, oh, this is a... A variation on an old idea here,
0: mm-hmm. and a, a wonderful variation on an old idea. We should idea. watch the film version of Vanya on 42nd Street. I think that's a, it it might be, I don't know, I, I really liked your answer about um uh, the cook, the thief, the wife, and his lover, uh, and her lover, that like, anything can be upper middle brow, it's just the way that we talk about it. And, and I think that Vanya on Forty Second Street really hits kind of the way like that is like an art house movie. Sure. I mean, like, like like not a lot of people saw that. I think um, you know it's in the same ballpark as people who are like, "Have you ever seen my dinner with Andre? It's great. It's just Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory having dinner." Um, and uh, and sure enough, Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory are both in this version uh, of Vanya on Forty Second Street. Um, a tip of the but hat. but it really. Yeah, it's it's really, like, watching that alongside this, I think, would be really interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, and again, like, yeah, and I'm glad you buy that definition, and you don't have to agree with it, um, but that is the no, way I think about it. opens up the door it. for everything. Yeah, it's well, it, it, no, sure, but I think it also, it's a discipline, right, which is that, like, it should be fun. Right, like we're not watching it to be sort of like let's put on our like turtlenecks and talk like and be, you know that that like
0: I don't have a turtleneck on, thank God.
1: You could you could pull your hood up like the nihilists in the Big Lebowski. I think that, that you can run around with you're nihilists. And, we believe in, we nothing. believe in nothing. This film is, is only about the idea of film, and I love it. Um, I mean, you know, his
0: girlfriend I, cut off her toe. It's not fair. <laughs> yeah
1: which is I believe that's Flea uh in uh-huh. that role. <laughs> that's um amazing. good actor, Flea is a good actor. But yeah. Um yeah, well well uh for the next draft, um question for you and and also that last scene, you know, I interpreted it a little bit differently than the way you described it. I I what I interpreted is he tastes the broth, he starts you know, they start bickering about whether there's too ginger. And in the midst of that bicker, it's not like his taste suddenly comes back. What, what happens is they both realize, oh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have noticed that if he couldn't taste it. And they have this sort of shared realization that his mm-hmm. taste has returned. What, do, what explanation do you believe this film gives for Chu both having lost and then later regaining his
0: taste? Oh, that's a great question um i want this film to be to hold its cards close to its chest about it i don't want it to be that it's like the unfolding of you know, that that after his wife died he put away his taste and then you know upon the blooming of his new relationship and uh, you know approaching fourth parenthood His taste returns. I I don't want it to be that. I don't that. And I think Ang Lee is a better storyteller than that. Um, But like something has changed for sure. Um, And I hope that it is the fact that everybody is kind of in a rut. Like we, we begin this movie and everybody is, is pretty much kind of stuck Even the youngest daughter is sort of like in a dead end job at Wendy's. Uh, We get this great opening shot of uh, an American being like, "I ordered chicken." (laughs) Somebody's like, "That is chicken." I wonder
1: if that was the screenwriter James Sheamus. Wonder. Um, Oh, that would be. It kind of looks like him, and he seems to be speaking in Mandarin. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. how many? I wonder if that's a cameo of the uh, because I'm like, what is this like? You know, pasty European looking guy doing at this Wendy's speaking belligerent Mandarin. Uh, And uh, I wonder if we could figure that out. But that's my hypothesis.
0: Um, But everybody is everybody is in a rut. And the uh, the ruptures caused by Wen's death. um, Wen, Wen is like you can't have this movie succeed without Wen's death. Yeah, he is he's the the body that you bury in the grave in the Bruce Springsteen song to get your money out of like he's he's the collateral damage that allows the emotional change in the other characters. And I think that the return of taste is these characters literally coming to their senses <laughs> um, and beginning to live their lives again. And who knows, like, what the trauma is. Maybe it's the loss of their mother, or in in his case, his wife. But I don't think so. They sort of speak very fondly of their mother, and there isn't a lot of ink spilled over the pain of her death. Um, And this movie treats death very matter-of-factly. Yeah. Like, what happens when you die? Your friends and loved ones take you to a warehouse. A nice warehouse, but a warehouse. With an astroturf floor. And they put you in a drawer. (laughs) But his the real The real glory of his death is that it returns the rest of them to sanity hmm. Hmm. so I hope that's what it is yeah, um, and I do think his taste comes back. I think he has been stuck um due to the frustrations of his existence
1: I think I agree with that i mean i think i do i I agree that it is Wen's death that is the key to essentially all of these characters but especially chu most especially chu and jia shen just deciding they're going to admit to themselves and to others what it is they want f- from the rest of their lives um and i think that chu has been repressing that for the sake of his daughters for the sake of just being an old chinese father in a very traditional sense um Being, you know, not being fully able to understand young women, not being able to fully understand the modern world, you know, being kind of a the cooking is both a blessing and a curse for him. And so I think it's sort of the perfect metaphor that he's still good at it, but he can't enjoy it in the same way that he used to because he's not really engaging with himself. He's using the cooking to get away from himself. And I think he does engage with himself. And what he realizes is he is concerned about his daughter's but he also, you know, he wants a little more happiness, and he has the opportunity uh, with the housekeeper, and and also he becomes very avuncular and sort of like a a grandfather-slash-now-stepdad to Shan Shan, you know, in that adoring scene, and that, that seems to give him a lot of joy and pleasure as well, and it gives her a lot of joy and pleasure, and there's, you know, we didn't mention this, but there's this hilarious uh sort of subplot where you know all the other kids at school get jealous of the amazing like five-star restaurant lunches that she's cooking and then so he has to he's like wow cooking for one is the same as cooking for five i and he starts cooking for uh the whole classroom and it's very cute and you can tell that that this relationship is buoying him and he likes it and so you know it's a little bit under toll because to preserve the surprise we don't see I mean I I saw it coming. There was something in the body language of the way in just throughout when we saw him being, you know, set up with uh Mrs. Lang and you just had this sense like, ooh, I think something else is going on here. But you never see them like holding hands or kissing or even sharing a look. It was just sort of it was done in the narrative and it was done in just the remarkably understated performance of the woman who plays Jinrong to the housekeeper, too, where even when he's making announcement, the announcement, if you watch her, she's playing, she's looking down on the ground, she knows what he's going to say, she's sort of her body language is suggesting that she knows what her mother's reaction is going to be to this, and she's preparing for it, she's sort of quietly gathering her courage, and all of that is, is played really, really well but i mean that's my explanation is that yeah. he is he's he's basically allowing himself his emotions and that's yeah. what brings his taste back
0: yeah and you know and, and i mean he's getting to be a you know uh a, a, a father again yeah. to shan shan and we discover that jin rong's baby is another daughter yeah um yeah. and uh And yeah, and maybe maybe the return of the taste is like his sense of being um, nurturing again, like being able to do that. And what's great is that his taste returns in a moment that he is with Jiaxian. Yeah, that like with uh, and you, maybe it's occasioned by this new relationship with Jinrong, but the the sort of like secondary benefit. Or the primary benefit is that it repairs the relationship between he, him, and and Jiaxian.
1: And and they're, you know, they have reached the point now. It's interesting, too, because if you think back, the last thing you see in the penultimate dinner scene is Jiaxian standing there crying like she's upset. Mm. And why is she upset? Is she upset because she's emotional because she's relieved that he's not going to have a heart attack or the ship set because she's offended. And I don't, you know, there is a little bit of a cinematic dirty trick, which is just like fade to black, you know, comes back up and suddenly everything's fine. Everybody's happy, you know, and (laughs) somehow it works though. I guess, I guess just the sort of like, the The awfulness of the penultimate dinner is such that you're just kind of maybe ready to be hopeful at that point. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the goon squad, like why we get the happy
0: ending in a visit from yeah. the goon squad. you know he's done he's done the work he's he's done the work ahead of time and and you you pointed out really nicely the little hints and you know, and I'm thinking as you were describing that, like I'm thinking about him watching shan Shan. Get onto the school bus, which is a terrible experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, just all like, these all big of, people yeah. pushing
1: her around, and she's being shoved into strangers' butts, basically, and like, <laughs> you know, she's too small, and it's too crowded. Yeah,
0: and and all of this, like the transit stuff, is like that. Yeah. Everything is sort of clustered and cluttered, and and you know, I think that's one of those moments where you get hints of it, and I think that's why it makes. That fade to black and then everything is okay um you kind of answered my next question i was very surprised Mm. by the penultimate dinner Mm. i was not expecting him to i was sort of like oh god he's gonna end up with mrs liang and it's gonna be awful and like like where's the end of this movie gonna go is this bad people doing bad things (laughs) um but and i was i was i was very surprised um mm. sounds like you were not very surprised
1: no i saw it coming somehow mm-hmm. i think i don't know i don't know if it was a structural giveaway where i felt like we were being set up for some kind of misdirection or whether it was mm-hmm. in the performance i think it was something i think part of it too is that uh there's something about the way Jinrong is kind of invited in by the sisters and at one point they she gets her kind of pixie cut and they say you look really young and there's there's just something in that moment where you realize there's something a little repressed in this character yeah. like this character knows something that maybe the rest of it. and I actually just think if I were going to watch the movie again it would be really interesting to watch her performance and then I also think there was that scene where Jinrong confronts Chu about the is basically like yeah I know you've been making her lunches and that's fine and by the way where did where did the lunches go <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and so you see even though there's nothing romantic you do see this this comfort and with the with the, with one another and you see that she appreciates his solicitude so yeah I saw it coming and I'm not exactly sure why there was something yeah. if I were to watch the film again I could probably pay attention to what what all the hints were that I was picking up on subconsciously, whether they were performative. I mean, I think there was also, Mrs. Lang was just comically bad. And I never really had the sense, I was never misdirected by that. And I think, you know, just as Chu can be said to not fully understand his daughters to some degree, they also, there's a little bit that they don't fully, you know, they struggle to fully grasp his humanity as well. And and you know, that scene is the end of that. Like they have to confront it. And apparently they all they all do, even though they're all upset. I mean, there's a moment where um the volleyball coach, I keep forgetting his name, Lin Dao? I think it's like Ming Dao. Ming or Dao. Something like that. Um, there's a moment where uh he uh, he says, you know, like, Oh yeah, and I'm gonna move in with Jin Rong and <laughs> Ming Dao's like, Congratulations <laughs> and, and Jin like slaps him with a spoon, like you're drunk, dad. You're confused, you know. And then, of course, Jin Rong has to sort of very humbly stand up and say, no, your father and I uh, have a romance. And we haven't yeah. talked about it because of the divorce, you know. And then, of course, her mom passes out. <laughs> Luckily, she doesn't die. Like, she, yeah. she, she goes into uh,
0: not shock. Uh, acute, <laughs> <laughs> acute acute stress, stress reaction <laughs> thank you thank you so much thank you I feel so seen yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that you know there's two shots in the film where like it feels like the it feels like somebody just set the camera down like you know that moment when like you're, like, trying to shoot something on your phone or whatnot, and then something terrible happens, you know, oh, like yeah. you've left the rear window of your Saab 900 open when you're going through the car wash, <laughs> or, you know, and you have to, like, like frantically, like, put the camera down or Ladies whatnot. and gentlemen, that's a true story from the cast. <laughs> um, yeah, you were on the other end of the phone. It was great. Um, and uh, But there's two moments when that happens, and one is in that in that scene, When when Mrs. Liang is like in the deep throes of acute stress reaction and passing out, and like the camera appears to just get plunked down on the table, and it's this sort of like odd shot where you can kind of see part of her head and like part of some of the other bodies. Right. The other time that happens is when Jiaxiang and uh, Jiaxian and the airline executive almost have sex. Ah, interesting. It's this like very clumsy and uncomfortable moment yeah and they're starting to like be intimate and yeah and it's this other moment where like the camera sort of like hovers like on the table and you see part of her neck and hair and part of his head
1: interesting I, I, I want to go back yeah. and watch that. I mean, what it says to me, too, is like that is completely that's one of the things it's naturalism. And it's one of the mm-hmm. things that's different about this film from, say, the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover and even Tampopo. But especially yeah. the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover. And actually, really, it is, is that this film is beautiful at times, but the beauty is always naturalistic. You know, the closest thing you get to something like Babette's Feast or the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover is inside the big fancy restaurant with the pots of steam. But the cooking, my favorite shots are them cooking at the house, you know, which is not, it's not, there's not weird lighting. There aren't uh, shirtless soup cooks, you know. There aren't oil paintings of, you know, medieval vegetables and pheasants and geese assembled. It's just... Mm -hmm intimate camera. You know, the camera is right up on the food. There's that scene close to the very end where Jia Shen is laying out the pancakes and then sucking up the little extra dough yeah. by kind of like... With, turn, with, with the dough. With the dough, like just expertly yeah. and then she's doing it while talking on the phone which is... And it's... it's um, Well, it actually kind of relates to my next question. Um, so I'll just launch into that, which is... um, Okay, Ang Lee... I'm gonna just check my notes. Uh, this is not a complete list, but uh, Brokeback Mountain, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, The Ice Storm, Hulk. Do you detect a style in those films? I, it's a two-part question. That's part A. I'll give you part B once you answer that.
0: Uh, I mean, my. I'm just, I'm not gonna try to overthink this. No my my sense of whenever people bring up oh ang lee directed this i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, I, I don't like, think i don't think there's a visual style yeah uh, yeah I, it's every it seems this this there's no central identity to ang lee's filmmaking
1: yeah, I mean you're watching like you're watching like think about his contemporaries. Like if you're watching a Spike Lee film, you're going to see wide angle shots, you're going to see powerful people being shot from below. Uh, you know, weak people being shot from above. You're going to see that classic, like Spike Lee, Dolly track shot. You know, if you watch a Tarantino film, some girl's going to have her foot up on the dashboard. Like there's going to be blood, you know, <laughs> um, you know, someone's going to have a bloody shirt at some point. You know, if you're watching, I'm trying to think of the other Cohen brothers, there's certain symmetries you're going to see. Yeah. Uh, you're going to see Wes Anderson yeah. this you don't get that with Ang Lee yeah. he is a he is a chameleon he is an eclectic he is a, a fox not a hedgehog visually so at least that's my sense you know i don't yeah. think they visually have anything in common really other than they all are good visually yeah. but there's not an aesthetic but i guess the the, the follow up question b is, do you, is is there anything that those films have in common apart from being good
0: yeah i mean i don't like i've seen about half of the those movies that you mentioned um you know seen brokeback mountain seen crouching tiger hidden dragon i've seen this now um i think i saw the ice storm i confuse the ice storm with it's a it's a rick moody novel and i confuse it with a Russell Banks novel. This is very confusing. The Hereafter? Probably. Yeah, which was made Um, into
1: a film by Adam McGowan. Okay. Um, Great movie.
0: Yeah, like, is there something... Well, like I haven't seen. There's also The Ice Harvest,
1: too. Another, if you want to get extra confused.
0: (laughs) More, more, more icy. Yeah. (laughs) um, Ice Ice Storm
1: is Kevin Kline, Sigourney Weaver, Key Parties, uh, uh, Young Katie Holmes, Young Elijah Wood.
0: The Russell Banks movie and the Russell Banks book that I'm talking about that maybe was The Sweet Hereafter. And I think Nick Nolte was in that, which he was also in a bunch of these others. But is the one about the school bus full of children yep. that that that's cracks the, through that's the ice. That's the sweet
1: hereafter, and then okay. Ian Holm wandering around trying to get revenge yeah, that's right. as, a, as a class yes. action lawyer. Yeah, um,
0: great movie. I, yeah, I mean, let's see, what's the? I mean, I would say uh, such a cop out answer. Um, he does the. He's like the Grace Paley, the like. Every, every character, real or imagined, deserves the open possibilities of life,
1: mm,
0: mm. Um, which is kind of weird coming from Grace Paley, because sometimes you're like, you're like, "Well, wow, this is a very like stylized like kind of thing that you're doing. Um, I don't really believe that these people that you've invented are real. Um, but I think that in possibility, most elite... not certainty. <laughs> there you go. There's the... That's what Grace Paley would say, but she, but she would say it meaner. Yeah. <laughs> she would be like she would she would definitely throw some get off my lawn in there. Um and uh yeah, I think he does. I mean even the the I haven't seen the Hulk, his his version Hulk. Um but everything that's been written about it praises the interiority of Bruce Banner's experience, which I'm like, "Well, yeah, the Hulk is about addiction. (laughs) Like that's what that character is about. God damn it. Like, of course you have to do interiority. Um, and so I think that what he does is he really does a very amazing job of doing interiority on the exterior. Like he, I think one of maybe one of the reasons you like him so much is that he does a lot of the Hemingway esque stuff that you value so deeply, um, and I do too. Um, but I think that if you were to compare us, like you're a little bit more on that side than I am.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, no, I think you got, I think you nailed it. Um, I was going to say quiet desperation, but it's the same thing. Mm. You know that 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 you know you think about um, Heath Ledger at the end of that Brokeback Mountain. With his daughter, you know, he loves her and he has this deep yearning and pain that he can't share with her. And it's just mm. all there on his face and it's in the landscape. You think about Michelle Yeoh. Uh, and I forget the male lead of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, uh, is
0: it Chow Yun-Fat?
1: Yeah, and Chow Yun-Fat. And they, you know, one of the things that happens about halfway through the film is that they kind of confess that they've loved each other for the last 20 years. And that they've never been able to say that out loud and that it is you know both crouching hit tiger hidden dragon and hulk are legendary fantasies and usually in those fantasies they just do the action and the legendary stuff they don't stop to wonder a whole lot about how the characters are feeling but like the best comic book movies i'd say like spider-man uh some of the batman movies that one which is <clears throat> It's, I, you say it's about addiction, I would say it's about anger, but I think yeah. it could be about addiction too, and those two things relate hardcore. Um, and then if you think about, like, actually, I don't like all that many of the Marvel movies, but the ones that really kind of capture the emotional reality of, like, the great metaphor of superpowers is usually someone who is lonely who has to discover some kind of hidden strength, like when they hit yeah. those themes... Like, it's really good. And that's why, actually, like, the first two Guardians of the Galaxy movies, I left the theater with tears in my eyes. Uh, Because it's about, they're about loneliness and found family. And they're goofy and silly and ridiculous and, you know, at times gory. Um, But they're about the family you create. And, yeah. um, but I'm getting ahead of myself, but like, yeah, I think if that's, that is the thing that he does, which is he puts, he tells stories, but then he gives you information and it's just enough information about the character's interiority. And you and I can't quite precisely put our finger on why Chu gets his taste back, but you bought it, right? Yep. Totally. 100%. And I... And that moment, I mean, it, I've, watched, I've watched it twice now and it wrecked me both times that I watched it. It's not just him getting his taste back. It's there, it's also there just like after feuding, bickering, worrying about each other, bantering throughout the film, the, just the look they give each other and just the love and joy that
0: they are sharing with each other in that yep. moment,
1: completely unfiltered. Everything I has been feel.
0: Subtext. I want to feel what they're feeling in that moment. And that is the success. That is a successful movie or piece of art or whatever. Like that's that's what we're trying to do. And I I
1: completely (laughs) believed it. I completely and I wasn't ready for it. And I completely I was ready for the the one surprise we talked about, but I wasn't ready for that moment, you know, and it completely killed me. And yeah, I mean, I I like I don't know. Having watched this, I wouldn't have necessarily said this before we watched this movie, but if you think about Ang Lee's generation, I don't know that there's a better filmmaker, you know, like Mm -hmm. someone who's about 60 now. You know, I I don't Mm -hmm. like... And that would include like Quentin Tarantino, Spike Lee, Coen Brothers, you know, the people who came of age in the 80s or the 90s, maybe late Mm -hmm. 80s or 90s, you know. Um, Catherine Bigelow, uh, David Fincher uh Wes Anderson, you know, I'm sure there's a few other Jane Campion. Um he he's gotta be one of the best of that generation. And he's but you don't always think of him because he doesn't have that memorable visual style. It's true. He doesn't he doesn't have
0: something to to like hang his hat on visually, you know, like right. like most of those other directors have like honed their portfolio.
1: So directors yeah, if you're not a genius you better have something like Spike Lee's tracking shot. Yeah, you better.
0: Have a car. <laughs> you know, you better. That's the wrong lesson to learn. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, the the right lesson to learn is be like Ang Lee. Be like Ang Lee. Tell tell great stories.
1: Be like Ang Lee, taking Bruce Lee's advice. <laughs> be like water. Follow the path the story wants to follow. Yeah. like a water trick, like water forming a drainage uh, in the desert, mm-hmm.
0: I like that. Um, I think we can do trivia. Let's go to trivia. I think you're first. Okay. So, this movie, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, resulted in two separate spinoffs, neither of which were directed by Ang Lee. Wow. Which of the following is not one of the spinoffs? So, I'm going to give you three options. Your job is to pick the one that was not actually created. Wow. Okay. Was it A... The movie was actually called Eat, Drink, Man, Woman 2012, <laughs> a sequel in which related characters to the original family explore similar themes. That's right up there. It's like my idea is sideways, too. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Um, option B, Comer, Babert, Hombre, Mujer. A Spanish film adaption, adaptation that reprised the action of this movie, but setting it in the Basque area of Spain and recalling similar geopolitical tensions as the parent yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. C. Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, The Musical. A 2019 musical that closed after, count it, two matinees and one evening performance. Ooh. Yeah, rough. uh.
1: Okay. The most plausible is Comer, beber hombre mujer in my mind. Um, so I think it's not. I think that is one of them. Uh, Eat, drink, man, woman, twenty twelve sounds just stupid enough for like actual like Hollywood filmmakers. Eat, drink, man, woman, the musical also sounds like something that would have happened all i just think like they probably would have done a little bit of a better job with it than that maybe not it certainly is the kind of story you would turn in the musical it's like seven wives for seven brothers (laughs) it's got that kind of feel but i feel like if they were going to do it they would also give it some stupid like shortening name like la miz it would be like eat
0: (laughs) oh my god you're right just like (laughs) they would just call it drink (laughs) um
1: Uh, So that is my, the C the musical is the one I think was made up.
0: Oh, I, my, my, my powers of creation were too good. Uh, The the fake one here is Comer Beber, Ombre Beber. (laughs) (laughs) I was a little bit, I was like,
1: Basque? There's no, I don't quite see. I mean, you sort of have the like Taiwan, mainland Uh China thing. Yeah, yeah, a little, little separatist uh,
0: flavor there. So they really Um, made a musical
1: out of it and it really flopped.
0: Yeah, I I watched, uh, I watched some of it. Um, and I was oh. like, "Oh God, this is this is quite that's bad. Sad. <laughs> this that's is not sad. this is not great." Um, it's,
1: it just shows show business appetite for not taking risks. That you'd always rather do a sequel these days and make a bad se- a bad sequel. At least the people who saw the first one will come watch it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like a good new movie, that's too much of a risk,
0: or a good new musical. Yeah, it 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 makes me. the the state of broadway get off my line. get off my broadway Broadway. (laughs) get off get off my my town hall theater get off my presidium
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to remember is it 43rd 42nd street is 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 sort of like there's a big theater row on 42nd yeah 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 yeah. get off my orange line (laughs) get off the q train uh, okay, your trivia. only um, Lee, um, I really actually wanted to find a question about James Seamus because I was really, I tried to figure out whether James Seamus actually speaks Mandarin or uh-huh. not or whether he wrote the film in English and it was translated, which would be amazing. There were two writers and the other one was a Taiwanese woman Um who has also worked with Ong Lee a bunch. Um, but I couldn't figure that out. So Ong, I did find an interview where Ong Lee said that Chu in this film was partially at least inspired by his own father. Uh-huh. Uh, what was his father? His father was also somewhat prominent, okay. uh, as, as is Chu. Uh, what was his father's job? A, he was a chef at a well-regarded but not top restaurant mm-hmm. in Taipei. B, he was a high school principal at a well-known school Mm -hmm. in Taipei. C, he was a route negotiator for airlines with a notable career and most notably worked for Pan Am in the 1960s. Or D, he was a leading Mandarin language, Silver Age sci-fi writer who specialized (laughs) in hard sci-fi and
0: anthropological sci-fi. I was like, like, there has to be a D. (laughs) There has to be another option. Um I'm going to go see.
1: Uh he was not a route negotiator. Uh, he was in fact a high school principal. Well, which you know, makes sense similar sort of authority figure as Chu and it also kind of explains the setting of the, the you know and of the, of the school building a little bit. Did this movie meet your expectations? I expected it to be great, and it was great. Um, and I want to watch it again because it is. It kind of snuck up on me the ending, not the not the penultimate, but how. And then I was rewatching it a little bit again today, and I started noticing things I didn't notice the first time. And I definitely feel like it's something of a
0: masterclass
1: yeah. of um, just good, strong, subtle filmmaking. Like uh, any
0: child you sometimes begin to resist the things that your parents uh hold dear and um i know my mom really loves this movie so i i think i had a little mm. resistance to it um mm. but i i knew it was going to be my mom's got great taste okay,
1: careful peter bagg
0: listens i know to he listens to this now, but but, and... but the thing that i'll say my mom has excellent taste oh sure like it's, that's it's like one of the things that like That's one of the things that's so amazing about my mom. She has, like, impeccable taste. So regardless of my stupid resistance, generally, like, when Pat Bag is like, hey, we should go see this movie, you should say yes. Um, So I expected that it was going to be well-made and maybe I wouldn't be swept away by it. Um, And I was wrong. It was beyond well-made and I was completely swept away by it. I will watch it again. I can't wait to watch it with somebody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be a fun date night movie, yeah. sort of. Did it make you hungry?
0: You know, I was thinking about asking you a question about whether or not this was actually a foodie film. <laughs> you know. I absolutely, I absolutely think it
1: is. Um, both in the sense of sort of Monica's usage of just the kind of this, you know, lots of lingering camera over, you know, cutting the fish open and I mean, so many shots of yeah. uh, folding and squeezing the dumplings yeah. together. Um, there's also that moment where, I mean, he doesn't want to kill the carp, I you know, after oh Oldman dies, too. Yeah. yeah. Um. And I, but I also think it is in the sense, too, that that the film, it is it it has something to say about food and food's. Power Mm -hmm. in our lives and our relationship to food. So, to me, it absolutely is a foodie film for both of those reasons. What what about you?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think the thing, the reason why it came up for me was that like, I began seeing like, oh, well, in any kind of great work of art, there is some sort of like, there has to be like a skeleton. If you just say what happened in the correct order, you just have something boring. And really good works of art have very often hidden skeletons you know that kind of provide the scaffolding that you can hang the rest of your very affecting story on top of and in this movie i was like oh well he's just chosen food but this is such a timeless story that he kind of could have chosen anything and it like any really great work of art Began questioning my own sense of like, what does it mean to categorize or label anything?
1: Yeah, and I I think that's right. Um, But it would feel different. Uh Um, And I think you're right. You could tell a similar story around a family that was obsessed with chess. And everybody plays chess, and they gather on Sunday nights and play chess. And in particular, the father and the daughter like to argue about chess. And the daughter was going to be a chess master, but the father wouldn't let her because that's a terror. Or a theater yeah. family. And every night they put on a, a little play for the neighbors, or every Sunday night, you know, you, you could do all of those things, but then each one would have different. Yeah. There would be different things that reveal themselves. And so, yes, you could substitute something for food, but it wouldn't really feel the same. And it's also, you know, it is part of watching a movie. Is sensual pleasure of visuals, and you you need some affordance of that. And you know, sometimes you can have movies that well, maybe the visuals are only okay, but the dialogue's great, yeah. or the or the just the performance is so good. Um, but it does give you this sort of part of the joy of watching the movie is watching the food, imagining the food, thinking about the food, watching the characters argue about the food, watching the characters' relationship to the food change. And it's, I'd also think, you know, how you and I both immediately sense that Chu and Zha Shen's relationship is the main story yeah. and there are all these tendrils to it and they're the t- the thing that they have the most in common is their relationship to food yeah. too it forms their greatest conflict and also their greatest agreement yeah. and their greatest bond
0: that's a great answer yeah I mean like your choice of skeleton is crucial when you're making your thing you know, if you're going to set your novel at, like, a wacky tennis academy on the outskirts of Boston, like, you, your choice of stuff kind of, like, supplies you with your available figurative language and, like, your available metaphors and the associations that the language that you're working in has with that subject. It's just, it's fantastically interesting.
1: Yeah, and and the characters they need to they need to fit comfortably or uncomfortably uh-huh. uh into that space um but if they fit uncomfortably in the space it has to be uncomfortable yeah. <laughs> and if they fit comfortably into this space that has to tell us something and there's going to be something you know different about tennis kids than you know food kids yeah yeah for and, every how tennis dads
0: and for every how yeah. in candenza you need an orin in candenza <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah, and for every Jashin, uh, you know, you need a Zha Jin. Yeah. I would have loved to have watched this film again before talking about it. I would love to watch it again and talk about it yeah, again. Yeah, I know. It's like Citizen Kane in mm. that way for me. I think it is the most masterful thing we've seen in this series yet. I would maybe put Babette's Feast at number two. Yeah, Well, but Tampopo is awfully good. I think Gosh, they've is, all been... Mm,
0: that would be a hard decision. It's I, hard. Ooh, I think this is. I think this this beats Tampopo by a nose, but. It's a real close, it's a real close one.
1: Yeah, I, they're doing, they're trying to do different things. Yeah. You know, Tempopo is a little more experimental yeah. and a little more idea heavy, and yeah. it succeeds at that. This one's more naturalistic. It's a naturalistic family drama. This does feel like a 70s film, mm. past, sort of Asian pastiche of a 70s American film. And Tempopo feels like a Asian pastiche of a 1960s or 50s Western, too. Yeah, totally. they both succeed. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like, it makes me nervous to try to rank them i don't like yeah to yeah, yeah i don't i don't um,
0: think we should but it's an interesting uh it's an interesting idea
1: it's interesting it's worth thinking about um
0: well jpd what is coming up next
1: coming up is mostly martha which is a 2001 german film the director is somebody named sandra nettlebeck uh, i haven't seen it this was another one i found in some lists and i found intriguing and i sort of picked it for kind of geographical diversity and also temporal diversity. Mm-hmm. And, you
0: know, Monica says it's good. so She hasn't led us wrong yet. She hasn't. Nope, she hasn't. Well, uh, Upper Middle Brow is a small point production. Chris Bag and Jesse Dukes are the revered old men of the busy kitchen. Music by Ben Pajak and Jesse Dukes. Designed website by me, Chris Bagg. You can learn more about us at uppermiddlebrow.com.
1: We still have a listener survey on our website, and, y'all, we're going to leave it there until we get, like, Ten. a quorum <laughs> of responses. So if you are not Philip or Peter Bag, you need to go there and fill it out. Yes. And we, which, by the way, Peter Bagg is willing to be entered into a drawing to win a Story Bluetooth speaker, which would be very convenient <laughs> for you in terms of delivery. We can save uh, on
0: postage.
1: Yes. Excellent. Uh, The Bluetooth speaker is perfect for listening to Upper Middle Brow and your other favorite podcasts. Uh, You can go to uppermiddlebrow.com for a link to the survey. Uh, We really, 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 really would like you to fill it out. Uh, We need some more information, so please do that and thank you.
0: As a reminder, Jesse and I are both writers and editors, and we can help you with your writing, podcasting, or editing project. You can see some of our portfolios and learn more about us at our respective websites, chrisbag.com and jessiedukes.com. Check it out, get in touch, and if you want to talk about how we can help you with your project, big or small. Uh, Maybe retake that last sentence. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That was just with a floating and. (laughs) You can see more.
1: (laughs) I'm gonna edit Chris, everybody, so if you wanna see how this works, Uh, Chris, I think you had one, two extra and in there. Let's go ahead and strike that and do do it again. again.
0: You can see some of our portfolios and learn more at our respective websites, chrisbag.com and jessiedukes.com. Check it out and get in touch if you want to talk about how we can help you with your project, big or small.
1: Perfect. Nailed it. Got it. I'll send you the bill.